just wanted to say welcome to Grace Church. My name is Justin Ross, lead pastor here at Grace. And this morning we're in part two of a three-week series called If I Only Had. And last week we talked about the struggles of comparison. We learned that comparison, comparing yourself to others or, or desiring uh, you know, what other people have or, or uh, you know, their abilities and their talents and that type of thing, uh, comparison leads to jealousy and insecurity and self-loathing. Comparison leads to a lack of motivation, and it can even lead to hopelessness. Comparison causes us to gossip about other people, and it can even cause us to, to tear intentionally other people down. And, and, and it can lead us to this wicked desire to see other people fall. We want to see other people trip up. We want to see other people fail, because then it makes us feel better about ourselves. This morning, we're going to uncover this topic a little bit more, and and we're looking at, this morning, the last commandment that God gave to his people while they were wandering around in the wilderness. You see, in the book of Exodus, okay, the second book of the Bible, if you get your Bible, the very first book is Genesis, the beginning, the very second book in the Bible is Exodus. I want to highly encourage you to read the book of Exodus. It tells the story of the nation of Israel and, and their enslavement to the nation of Egypt. And you see, God doesn't want his people to be slaves. God doesn't want his people to be in bondage. God wants his people to be free. And so God raised up a man named Moses. And in the book of Exodus, we're told that God God told Moses to go to the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, and to demand that Pharaoh let all of the people of Israel go free. And when you read the book of Exodus, you'll learn that Pharaoh didn't do what Moses demanded. He didn't do what Moses asked him to do. It took many plagues, and ultimately it took the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son for him to finally get to the point where he would let the Israelites go free. And so now the Israelites are free physically, but as you read through the book of Exodus, you'll learn quickly that they were still slaves internally. They were still slaves to their own sin. So they were free on the outside, but on the inside, they were still in bondage. And they were wandering around aimlessly. The Bible says for 40 years, wandering around the wilderness aimlessly, not knowing why they were here, what they were here for, why they existed. And as I say this, some of you might say, gosh, that kind of sounds like me. I just seem to be wandering around this planet aimlessly. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I want in life. I'm just, what what is the deal? You know, what what am I here for? And what God did next reverberates to our present day. God, like a loving and patient father, instructed his children, and he gave the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're looking at the very last commandment that God gave, and it's perhaps the most fascinating of them all. So let me read it to you now. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What we just read here is is not an exhaustive list, okay? When you read that little phrase that says anything else, in the Greek it means anything else. All right, anything else that your neighbor has, we are not to covet. And most of our neighbors, just to, to kind of bring it to our present day, most of our neighbors today don't have oxen, right? 
Most of our neighbors don't have donkeys. I have some neighbors that have donkeys, and they can keep their donkeys, all right? But it might be that boat that they have. It says don't covet anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Anything else could include the car that they drive, the entertainment that they experience, the styles that they wear, or the technology that's at their disposal. It, it could include their employees or maybe the business that they own. It could be their appearance or the way they look on the outside. It could be anything that you're discontented with in your own life. And you start to covet someone else. You start to wish that you had things from their life. People from their life. Abilities from their life. Or even experiences from their life. You're dissatisfied with your own life, so you want someone else's life. Let me do a little experiment this morning, all right? You, you got to imagine with me this morning, so loosen up a little bit. I know you're in church, but seriously, loosen up a little bit, all right? Loosen up. Let's do a little experiment. Imagine with me for just a moment that a genie showed up, and this genie offered you six wishes, okay? I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just Answer these questions honestly, internally, with whatever comes to your mind. So go ahead and close your eyes. Imagine this genie appeared to you. You got six wishes. Okay, are you ready? All right, none of you are ready, but we're going to do this anyways. All right? Answer these questions. If you could have anyone's car, what would you drive? If you could have anyone's home, Where would you live? If you could have anyone's abilities, mental or physical or spiritual or even emotional, what would you want? Number four, if you could have anyone's physical appearance, who would you look like? Number five, If you could have anyone's spouse, who would you be married to? And then number six, if you could trade lives with anyone, who would you trade with? Okay, you can open your eyes now, all right? What I just awakened in you is called coveting. It's called comparison, okay? Did you feel that? That's what coveting is. Coveting is looking at what you don't have, but wishing you had it. It awakens this discontent with what you do have, and it stirs this desire for more or something different. So let's start this morning with the definition of coveting. And I'm going to give you a long definition, and then I'm going to give you a more uh, like tweetable definition, all right? Something that's shorter. So let's start with the long definition. The first one, uh, the long definition is coveting. Coveting is uh, ungodly. I got it right here. Coveting is ungodly, discontented desire, passion, envy, craving, greed, jealousy, obsession, longing, or lust for someone or something that is not supposed to be yours. All right, now let's, let's, let me give you the shorter version. Coveting is when you don't want what God has for you. 
Simply put, coveting is when God says, I want this for you, but you respond by saying, nah, (laughs) that's not what I want, God. I know that's what you want from me, but that's not what I want. And God, if you haven't figured this out yet, it's about what I want. See, that's what coveting is. It's not agreeing with God in what he desires for your life. And now there's this conflict between what God desires and what you desire. And last week we made it clear that comparison or coveting is a massive problem in our society today. And we could even go so far as to say that our entire economy is built on coveting. You see, every single one of us, we know what it feels like to want something. I mean, from the very moment that we took our first breath as a baby, we loudly assert our desire for something that we want. We want food, or we want comfort, we want sleep, we want to be held. As an infant, our wants are simple. But as we grow, we learn to want more. We, maybe we want that particular toy or that certain, um, that certain snack. We want that right pair of shoes. And the older we get, the more elaborate and sometimes the more expensive our wants become. We want more money. We want those designer clothing. We want the, you know, the biggest house. We want the perfect spouse. And when we finally get that something that we wanted, gosh, it makes us feel good. But only for a short time because then we get tired of what we just got and we want something else. We want something new, something bigger, something better. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that what I have is never enough. And so we're on this continual chase, this pursuit of something that's never going to satisfy. It's so easy to equate what we want or what we get with our happiness. A single person might say, if I only were married then I would be happy. A married couple might say, if only we had a baby, then we would be happy. An employee might say, if only I made more money, then I would be happy. Some individuals think, if only I was the opposite sex, then I would be happy. If only I could be him. If only I could be her. You see, coveting leads us to think, if only I had. If only I had. You see, what what makes coveting so difficult is the fact that it's an internal struggle. It's not an external battle that we face. It's internal. We We can be coveting on the inside and no one knows. No one knows. You can keep it a secret. You can hide it. But God knows. God knows the thoughts of our minds. He knows the longings and the desires of our hearts. And this commandment that he gave, you must not covet. It makes it very clear that God is not simply concerned with the external. The God that we worship, he deeply cares about what's going on inside of us. He cares about who you are. God is not simply concerned with the external. He cares deeply about what's going on inside of us. You see, we are great 
at judging the external. You know, I've heard many people say, I'm a good person. I'm good because I don't do this or I don't do that. But their view is on the external. And when we begin to look within, when we begin to look at our motives or our intentions, our desires or our longings, things quickly change. We begin to realize, gosh, I'm really not as good as I thought. You see, coveting is something that is judged by God. There's no government that could enforce anti-coveting laws, okay? It couldn't happen because it's something that we can hide, something we can cover, we, we keep it within. You see, God wants your heart. And I'm not talking about the organ of your heart. When the word heart is used in the scriptures, it's referring to the center of who we are. He wants you. He wants all of you. We've all heard the phrase, let's get to the heart of the matter, right? The word heart is used over 900 times in the scriptures. You see, God wants to be Lord over all of you, inside and outside. Now, why do I say this? Because we often can covet God's position. It's a battle sometimes. We we wrestle with God on this. And You see, God holds the highest position of power and authority. And when we get in fights with God about his will or his word or his way, what we're really doing is we're coveting his position. We want his power. We want his control. We want something that does not belong to us. We covet God's glory. You see, we want the fame. I want people to notice me. I want people to remember my name. I want people to look up to me. I want people to know who I am. You see, we covet glory that belongs to God. What about that phrase that we read in the in the scriptures there? It says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. You see, before adultery exists out here, It first exists in here. The way people end up committing adultery is first they covet. They want something or someone that doesn't belong to them. And they think that that someone is going to satisfy. It's going to to bring fulfillment. You covet in your heart and then you adulterate with your hands. You see, if you deal with the problem in your heart, it will keep you from committing the act on the outside. Listen, freedom does not simply come through good moral behavior or outside actions. Okay, let me say that one more time because this is so important, especially in the day and age in which we live and the things that we're facing in our own country. Freedom does not simply come through good moral behavior or outside actions. What we need is completely new internal desires. And that can only come through Jesus Christ. We need an internal change that affects the outward actions. You see, better habits are good, but ultimately we need new desires. You see, there are some who appear very moral on the outside but they can be some of the most wicked people on this planet. 
I mean, just consider the, the religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees. The religious people are the ones who put Jesus Christ on the cross, the one who was perfect and sinless. These people had it all together on the outside. They were apparently following all the rules, doing all the right things, saying all the right words. But in their heart was nothing but murderous intentions. They were wicked. The Bible says they were like a a white cup on the outside that was just shiny and white, but on the inside they were completely empty. This is probably going to be a little controversial. But the truth is, Jesus is way more concerned with the condition of your heart than than he is on whether or not you stand or kneel. Who are you in here? That's what's most important. Who are you? That's what God cares about. Let me say something to those of us who think, man, God is all about rules. just seems like it's rule this, rule that, rule Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. He had ten rules. Ten. That's not very many. He had ten rules. And why did he give us those rules? He gave us those rules because he is a loving, good, kind, and gracious father. When he says don't covet, he's looking out for our best interest. He's trying to protect us physically and spiritually. He gave us these rules to keep us from harm. Some of you cringe because you don't like laws. But listen, it's so much easier to understand why these commands were given when you understand the heart of the Father who gave them. All right, let me give you an example. I have four boys. And if I left for work and I, I left them a list of things to do, I left them a list of things that I wanted them to do around the house or some chores. Most likely, and I'm going to underline, most likely they would do those things because they know the heart of their father. They know that I'm for them. They know that I'm not against them. They know that I'm looking out for their best interests. They know that I love them. But let's just imagine for just a moment that they get an anonymous letter in the mail from a stranger that they've never met And it had a list of things that this stranger wanted them to do. Do you know what my boys are going to do? Everything but what's on that list. Okay? That's what they're going to do. When you know the heart of the Father, you want to do what He says to do. You want to do it. You want to do what He intends because you know that He has your best in mind. Church, if you catch anything today, you got to catch this. You got to know the heart of God. You got to know that He is not against you, He's for you. And it changes your perspective when you read things that are challenging in the scripture. When you look at it through the lens of a loving Father, it changes it. It changes it in your psyche. And now you're not so much opposed to it. Now you're like, gosh, this is actually good for me. This is actually good for my marriage. This is good for my family. Gosh, this is good for my business and my health. You see, God intends to protect us from physical and spiritual harm. So let's look at this command again. And this time I want to read it out of the book of Deuteronomy, which was once again written by Moses. Moses said, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. 
You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Jesus put it this way in Luke 12, 15. This is, this is so incredibly powerful. Then Jesus said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed or coveting. And then catch this last part. Life is not measured by how much you own. Once again, it's not the outward appearance or the outward actions that concerns the Lord most. You see, you can force people to behave or act a certain way. You can talk the talk. You can look all good and morally put together. But Jesus knows your heart. So where is your heart? Who are you really? Jesus wants the center of who you are. The center. You see, life is not measured by stuff. It's not measured by appearance. It's not measured by how beautiful your spouse is. Life is measured by who you really are. And there's nothing wrong with having nice possessions, but like Jesus says, when you look to stuff to find hope or to find fulfillment, you will continually be disappointed again and again and again. Because stuff will never satisfy. Okay, I think by now, I can tell by some of the looks on your faces, I think by now we understand coveting is bad. Okay, so the big idea for today is coveting is bad. Okay, coveting is bad. So how do we walk in freedom over all these wants and all these desires? And and listen, the last thing I want to come across is, is a guy that thinks he has it all figured out. I've been wrestling with this this week of, gosh, man, there's things I want for my family. There's things I want for my life. I mean, how do I reconcile this? How do I, how do I walk in freedom over this bondage of coveting, but I don't, you know, I don't want to lose motivation. I don't want to just be a couch potato. You know, how do you reconcile this? So how do we walk in freedom over coveting? You know, most of us have been trying for a long time to get certain behaviors in our life under control, certain addictions or certain longings, certain compulsions. You've been trying to manage them, but you haven't been able to walk in freedom over them. So this morning, I'm going to share with you three things that will set you free from the prison of want. And and it will help you to live a life of true joy. So the first practical step that you can take, and you should write this down, These are things that will benefit your life, that are beneficial to to your spiritual growth. The first practical step that you can take is to focus on giving, not getting. Focus on giving, not getting. Right? Let me ask you a question. True or false? The happiest moments in your life came not in getting, but in giving. True or false? True. True. You see, coveting says, I I need this thing, or I need this person, I need this experience, or this ability. And if I can get that, then I will be blessed. And Jesus says, no, no. The blessing is in the giving. Gosh, think about that person that's just like, oh man, I'm getting, and I'm getting, and I'm hoarding, and I got all this stuff. And You know, they're not satisfied. They're continually chasing after the wind that they can't get a hold of. But that person that gives is blessed, finds joy in the giving. 
Giving is an opportunity to love. Giving is an opportunity to bless people. And when we do so, we in turn are the ones who are blessed. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. He's not asking you to do something that he hasn't already done. And when we change our focus to giving rather than getting, we begin to walk in freedom. You feel lighter. You feel better. Second thing that you can practically do to overcome coveting is to change the vocabulary in your mind, all right? Change your I want to I have. Change your perspective. Change the way you look at your life. Change your I want to I have. So the next time you think of something that you want, something you think that you have to have to be happy, I want you to just stop and take an inventory of all the things that you already have. Change the vocabulary in your mind. This mindset has helped me personally tremendously to look at my life differently. And you may even want to make a list to help you see just how much you have been given, just how much you have been blessed. You see, focusing on what you have is simply the idea of contentment. Being content with what God has already given you. The Apostle Paul who experienced a little bit of everything in his life. Okay, He was rich. He was poor. Um, he knew the highs of life. He knew the lows of life. He said this about the idea of focusing on, on what you have. It's found in Philippians 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 13. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Okay, This is going to be something that just doesn't happen. You've got to learn it. You're, you're going to have to practice it. Naturally, we want to covet. We want, we're just unsatisfied, but you've got to learn. It's a process of learning. So the Apostle Paul says, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Doesn't that already sound like freedom? Oh, man, I'm just content. I'm just full of joy, satisfied with what I have. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret, all right? Here is the secret sauce, the secret sauce to overcoming covetousness is contentment. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or with an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. You see, when we focus on what we do have, your, your entire perspective begins to change. It's it's. It's really having an attitude of gratitude. It's being thankful for what you already have. And that kind of outlook, that kind of an attitude changes everything. And then let's go to verse 13. And verse 13 brings us to the most important point that I have to make this morning. This next verse explains the only way that we can truly walk in freedom over the enemy of comparison or the enemy of covetousness. Verse 13 says, For I can do Everything through Christ. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we serve such a great God. 
You know, the fact is, the reality is, that he is willing to speak to us about the matters of life, about things that really matter in life. He's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about who you truly become. And I think that's truly amazing. That the all-powerful, almighty God is concerned about me? It blows my mind. The third point is this. Through Jesus, you can. Through Jesus, you can. The reality is we cannot keep any of these commands in our own strength. It's impossible. It really shows us how wicked we truly are. But through Jesus, we can. We cannot keep any of these commands. So God came down into human history and He didn't break any any of these laws. He lived perfectly. And He kept all of these laws, not only externally, but He kept them internally. You see, Jesus... Not only did he never commit adultery, but he never lusted after a woman. Not only did Jesus never steal, but he gave his life as a gift. And when we put Jesus in the category, which many people do, oh, Jesus, he was, he was such a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good prophet. When we put him in that category, it's insufficient. It's inadequate. It's not good enough. You see, Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is amazing. And He's not only pure on the outside, but He's pure of heart. He's pure. He's holy. He's righteous. He's completely good. And as we look at this one command, do not covet. I hope this morning that you realize how unlike Jesus you really are how unlike Jesus we really are. I hope you realize this morning how desperately we need Jesus Christ. We need Him to forgive us of our sins. We need Him to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. We need Him to send us His Holy Spirit. You see, through faith in Christ, faith in His death, His burial, His resurrection... The Holy Spirit enters our lives and He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature which ultimately leads to new desires. A completely a new way of thinking. New desires. And God loves us so much that He, he doesn't just want us to obey His laws. He wants us to have His heart. You see, God, He wants us to want what He desires for us. He wants our wants to line up with what He wants. Can I say it a different way? Is that confusing? God wants us to want what He desires. And when we yield to those desires, we become more like Jesus Christ. We become more like Him. We become more pure of heart. We become more holy, more righteous, more good. We have greater joy and we experience freedom like never before. And church, if we're really honest, that's what we really want. There's so many people say, man, I don't know what I want in life. I know that you want peace. I know that you want joy. I know that you want to do what's right. And that can only come through Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? Just do what you want to do. 
take your own path, just do whatever you desire, go against everything God says and call me in 10 years and let me know how it worked out for you. Okay? You can choose a different path and you can, as best you can, follow the Lord, pursue Him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Call me in 10 years and let me know how it worked out for you. It's, it's really as simple as that. I, 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 I encourage you to choose the path of Jesus Christ because that is what you really want. And that will truly bring satisfaction. And you will not look back on your life with regret. You will look back on your life saying, gosh, I'm so glad I pursued and went after the Lord. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for sending your son, Father, to come and to lay down his life on our behalf. And Jesus, I just want to thank you for being willing to come. And Jesus, I'm, thank you. I'm so thankful that you were willing to shed your blood and to allow your body to be broken and to die on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come, that you would make yourself known to us. And Father, I pray that people would truly know the heart of God, that they would know that you are for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in victory over the, over the enemy of covetousness, over the enemy of comparison. And Lord, that we would be the best me. We would be the best gosh, the best version of us that you created us to be. And we wouldn't try to be like anyone else, but we would be who you have made us to be. And we would find contentment in that. Father, help us to better understand your word, to better understand how you've made us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Katie's going to